Okay, and we are rolling. Everything looks wonderful here too. Thunderbirds are go. There's a thing that they say on other podcasts right at the very beginning. I notice a lot of them do this. We're back, is what they say. I don't really know why. Back from what? The bathroom? I don't know. Um, anyway, the the subject today uh, is a TV film or miniseries, I guess, uh, called Welt am Draht, or World on a Wire. Uh, this is a Rainer Werner Fassbinder TV science, sci-fi drama, you might call it, um, from 1973. So it was on the, on the, the main German TV channel back then, and then I think mostly disappeared, didn't it? And reappeared in about 2010 in a nice, glorious digital version. Got shown at some uh, some festivals, mostly in the US, it seems, and yeah. and got released on Blu-ray and DVD in 2012. I subscribed. We subscribed earlier this year to the Criterion Channel, which is the streaming service for. You know, that uh, company that puts out all DVDs. And uh, and it appeared in a collection that they had called Techno Thrillers. So I watched that and I thought it was good. And I thought, this looks mm. like the kind of thing that that Gavin would enjoy. So here we are. And so I uh, endured terrible headaches in order to get to deep through the Institute for Cybernetic and Zukunftsforschung. And here we are. Yes, indeed. Actually, uh, there's a point, Tom, because uh, we're back was something that uh, that used to uh, annoy my father uh, enormously when I was leaving. Uh, what do you mean you're back? I'm <laughs> you were me. No, they used to say welcome back, didn't they? Oh yeah! Welcome, welcome back. Is that a bum bloody bit anywhere? I'm still sat here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome back from the commercial break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh-huh. you know, it could be that maybe they've been uh, into uh, into a simulation, into an electronic simulation. Of yeah, the world. Yes. Uh, yeah. What do you think is the translation for that institute for? Um, Cybernetic and Zukunftsforschung is um, it's an institute for uh, well cybernetics, whatever they are. Yes, and uh, future uh, research, I suppose. Yeah, uh, one translation I saw that I like rather liked was futurology. Futurology, yeah, because yeah. there was a um, there's a hilarious Stanislav Lem uh, story about ah. a uh, a futurology congress. Uh, taking place in, I think it was Costa Rica, where everything uh-huh. goes horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, so what are we going to say about this? Right. Well, first of all, to uh, to to fill in some of the some of the information there. Yes, you're perfectly right. It was made for uh, the video, the uh, Westdeutsche Rundfunk. Um, strap in people, we're probably going to get through a few of these acronyms tonight because we're discussing something German. Mm. Um, and uh, in 1973, it was uh, transmitted. I mean, we're 
this is a huge thing. It's in two parts of around a hundred minutes. No, uh, yeah, an hour and forty-five minutes each. So yeah. each each part was the length of a of a movie. of a normal feature film. Yeah. yeah. So the first one went out on the forty. We see, we just missed the fiftieth anniversary of this. Well, yeah. so um, the first one went out on the fourteenth of October, which was a Sunday. Which means now you have to imagine this. There's only three TV channels mm-hmm. in Germany, so that means that it must have been a Sunday when there was no Tatwat. How did know. that happen? Nineteen seventy-three. Oh my God! Yeah, well, there was, you know, Tata what was going, and uh, and then the second part uh, went on out on the following Tuesday on the sixteenth. Mm. This is I can't honestly think of anything else like this. It is an unusual one. Uh, it I mean, really is. It's a very strange looking thing. Um, I mean, it, let's let's. Where shall we start? Shall we describe the uh, the plot just a little bit in its overall outline? But okay, I'm, have a go. The we're what we're dealing with here is a. Well, we're plunged right from the beginning into a a scene of what looks like some industrial research going on, uh, mm-hmm. computers, um, offices, yeah. men dressed in suits and and women dressed. Well, actually, we'll come back to that. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they, um, and and they're um, and and they're and they're uh, engaged in in some sort of weird stuff. Uh, but what what slowly transpires is that the uh, is that the computer stuff is a, a very large uh, um, pro- research project in which they are simulating a. A, a, a human-like environment uh, in what you know they're a, simulating a small, small real life. Town. Yeah, um, they've got something like uh, ten thousand identitätseinheiten. Identitätseinheiten. Yes. Um, well, let's just call them. Which sort is what of we would call ident- avatars. Yeah, uh, they got about ten thousand of those programmed in there, and they think that that's enough to get some useful data out of. And uh, the there's a political struggle going on uh, between mm. uh, different people involved at this institute mm. as to what this should be used for. The, uh, the, the technical people want, it, want to make sure that it's only used for, uh, for social purposes so that it can be used for, for planning and whatnot. And then the, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's another guy there who's, uh, who's got friends at, in, in business where they think they can use it for, for um, forecasting and to give certain industries or certain businesses' advantages, but anyway, yeah. it all gets a bit a bit strange when it sort of appears that our central character here, whose name is Fred Stiller, yeah. um, when he he starts getting the impression that this that he might be in an mm. in an, an, an such a well, simulation himself. Hold on. Uh, what happens first, right at the beginning of this, is that there's a there's a meeting with representatives from the government, uh, and uh, the 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 main in the main sort of inventor, the technical of this, director, uh, yeah, technical director, yeah, it's brought in, and he has a very strange conversation with uh, about mirrors, and which headaches. are one of the sort of. Uh, mirrors and headaches. Yeah, mirrors are one of the great sort of uh, things in this movie. There's yes. loads of mirrors, yeah. and um, 
uh, which which leads all of these very serious, you know, uh, government ministers to think that this man's mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and shortly after this, he has a, a rather mysterious accident where he seems to get electrocuted and died. Yeah. And Stiller is then brought in as his replacement. Yeah. So he's promote Stiller is promoted to uh, to being the technical yeah. director there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and one of the first indications, which is kind of the mystery that drives a, a good first three quarters of the movie, is that uh, the head of security um, is at a party with Stiller, an absolute fever dream of a party, <laughs> I might say. <laughs> Pretty weird, yeah. Uh, and um, and suddenly disappears. Right. Into thin air. Yes, he's he's literally talking to Stiller. He's Gunter Lauser is, is, is the name of Gunter Lauser, yeah. Um the colleague. And they're there's they go and sit in a very uh, part of this decor thing. They go sit back to back chatting, and then all of a sudden he's not there anymore. And mm-hmm. over the you know, the next yeah, over you know, quite a lot of the rest of the uh movie, there's there's the search for the lost Gunter Lauser. And yeah. Initially, he's, you know, they 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 do a police report and and things, and he get, and he mentions it to the to the um, the newspaper, mm-hmm. and it gets reported in the newspaper. Gets reported, yeah. Uh, but then people uh, then people start denying that they've ever heard of Gunter Lauser. Yeah. Uh, they start denying that he ever existed, and uh, and and this is is producing all of these nineteen seventy three sort of television effects of paranoia and headaches in mm. poor Fred Stiller. Where he's going, and also going there's, a, there's, a, there's a new uh, security chief who's mm-hmm. an extremely sinister looking character mm. who claims to have been there forever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this goes on, but there's, there are a couple of other um, very weird things that happen that, 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 that get, um, oh, there's, there's no shortage of weird things <laughs> that happen in this movie. Well, okay. I mean, in in the actual uh, drama, things that happen to him. For example, at one point, he's walking across. Um, uh, he's walking outside at one of these research institutes. You know, like maybe a parking uh-huh. lot or something, some some space between the buildings. And for no apparent reason, just dangling over his head is a big pallet of bricks. Oh and, God! Yeah. Uh, and then he stops to uh, stops a, a woman to try and get a light for him for a cigarette, which turns into one of these extremely weird, um, almost sexual encounters. Mm-hmm. And the pallet of bricks falls on top of the lady, killing her immediately. So mm-hmm. he picks up the lighter that's left and lights his yeah. cigarette. And, and of course, off. she claimed not to have a lighter on her. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. So she was lying the whole time. Yes, and and <laughs> and at one point, um, uh, takes a dip into the simulation that they're running, mm-hmm. uh, and so by connecting up, you might by by lying down on a um, on, on a one, Corbusier exactly. uh, chaise longue and yeah. attaching a sort of crash helmet to his head. Yeah, um, <laughs> and he ends up in a truck that's driving around and then mm-hmm. rather suddenly he starts getting a text message in his visual mm-hmm. display saying you've got to come back immediately um mm-hmm. so i'll come back and so i mean there's just a, a, a whole bunch of weird stuff going on and and he, later in in episode one he takes a trip into 
a, another trip into the um actually i'm skipping over all kinds of stuff i wanted to give broad strokes here but mm-hmm. basically what we've got here is a uh is a whole bunch of clues and also visits in in the investigation of their simulation and it's starting and by the end of um episode one it's become clear that there are two simulations involved there's Everything that we've been watching, almost everything that we've been watching is in what you might call simulation one mm-hmm. and in which the the characters that we're seeing are involved in creating simulation two, um, which is the one that we mentioned earlier with the 10,000 mm-hmm. Identitätseinheiten. Yeah. And uh, uh, some of the Identitätseinheiten are becoming a uh, sentient. Yes, well, they are full, kind of, they're pretty much fully like like human beings, but uh, but one of them uh, became, one of them is the contact unit and was given yeah. the, he's he's the bridge between simulation one and simulation two so that they can, they can, if necessary, have some communication with the people, with what's going on in there. But this turns out to be a big problem because, first of all, how can you exist in a simulation knowing that you're in a simulation? Mm. How can that be a bearable sort of psychological situation? But also one of the, uh, one of the unit's avatars in simulation two became aware, uh, well, the, the, you know, the, the, um, the secret got to him mm-hmm. and what was it? He killed himself, right? Yes. And so this is, this is pretty serious stuff. And, uh, Schiller goes in and meets with Einstein, Einstein being a, a, a witty name for the identity unit number one mm. in their simulation. And and it was a Christopher Nobody, Zeno, uh, who, mm-hmm. um, who, who killed himself, right? So there's a bit of drama in there. And then once he comes back, I can't remember exactly how this happens, but... Einstein manages to escape in somebody else's body into yeah. uh, simulation one. So he actually ends up confronting Stiller in the cafeteria at the, yes. at the Institute. And this is where uh, it becomes very clear to Stiller that, that yes, he's in a simulation. There's no, there's no way around this anymore. This is the only, the only way of understanding. So now we've got most of episode two, is facing the or is dealing with the extreme situation of our central character Fred, knowing that he's he's part of a simulation and everybody around him is part of the same simulation, but they don't know. So how does he mm. handle that? Or do they? I mean, uh, one of the uh, one of the great lines in this: "Die echten Zigaretten werden woanders geraucht." <laughs> which is something that he says uh, in this meeting with the whole with uh, the the heads of the institute and the uh, and and uh, the government ministers. Yes, one of whom looks like a young Blixer Bargeld for some reason. Yeah, and <laughs> so yeah, there's uh, there's certainly um, a group of people in this simulation who are kind of um, authority figures who are trying to keep this quiet that the whole thing has gone a little bit out of control. I didn't get that, actually. I got mm. that, uh, that, it, that there are people in the level above 
mm. who are desperately trying to control a situation mm. uh, and are giving instructions on how to handle Stille. But n- but I thought the the Echtes Zigaretten werden woanders geraucht. I thought that line mm. was from Stille himself. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's um, it's trying to trying to it's, it's something he says to to actually show that he's he's aware of what's going on. And... Yes. Well, I mean the that whole meeting is kind of like yeah. a parallel from the initial meeting with uh, with Professor Volmer. Yeah, where exactly. he's where in both cases they are they are determined to you know they're, they're, they're the the board decides yep he's mad we need to take mm. uh, take his responsibilities away. Falmer shows up um, while um, while Fred is sort of looking around in, um, in Professor Volmer's apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, um, I don't know what we're going to say there. They get they they develop a sort of a, um, a sexual interest in each other. Yeah, and, and it turns out because um, hold on, and she keeps this disappearing. Is, yeah. And uh, it's because she's actually from the other simulation. And Stiller's... No, no, she's not from the other simulation. She's from the top level. The top level, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. She's, yeah. So she's from what what we assume, or I guess we can talk about this later, what we assume is is the reality it's, it's, that created all of this. Yeah. So she is the... Um, she's not, she's sort of like uh, um, an avatar that gets sent in to make contact every now and then to try and handle certain situations. Right. And she eventually reveals to Stiller that his uh, soul psyche actually belongs to somebody else who's outside in reality. Right. And uh, what they managed to do at the end of the film is swap that psyche back so that he can escape back into reality. Yeah. So in the ultimate uh, climax, yeah. uh, uh, skipping over quite a lot of part two here, um, <laughs> yeah. they, in the ultimate climax, um, uh, Ava takes uh, Fred, well, sort of get, gets, uh, gets, um, gets Fred into a hotel room where she explains to him uh, that the whole situation that she is in fact from uh, the top level that she's visiting as an avatar that uh-huh. not everything can be managed that to he ex- explains that Gunther Lauza had become aware of what was going on and had to be erased and it was an emergency situation um, mm. and that's why it was handled so badly uh, that he was just kind of pulled out all of a sudden and then they had to patch over his existence with by editing the newspaper and changing the police reports mm. and and editing people's memories and it, which all took time and was complicated um and then uh once once um once fred had become aware of what was going on they tried mm-hmm. to handle him as well not the same way because that's such a such a problem thing but uh but also 
the way that he's been, the way that Fred has been, so like, uh, I don't know, quite a lot of the second episode, the second half of it or much, uh, is, is like a, uh, is a good thriller sort of chase sequence, you know, so yes. like, a, uh, you know, like a Bourne movie or something. Uh, actually, a lot of it very athletic, quite impressive, really. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the way that he's been sort of pursued and tortured is because the, uh, the technical director at the, at the reality level who's managing the situation is a sadistic egotist, uh, a, main, a megalomaniacal yeah. sadistic egotist. And one wonders there if that's a, a reference to uh, Fassbender himself. So, and, and, be, yeah. and, and Ava professes that she is in love with Fred how can that possibly be? Well, because he looks exactly like somebody that she's in love with in the real world. Who's that? Yeah. Well, it's Fred Stiller, the technical director, the maniac <laughs> egotist that programmed him and who has been enjoying tormenting him uh, through this process. And then Ava does this remarkable switcheroo right at the moment that Fred is finally murdered by uh, security staff, um, Remarkably Nazi-looking ones, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, by security staff at a um, um, uh, at a union protest, uh, where the uh -huh. where the staff are trying to get Fred reinstated. Um, yeah. She does the switch so that, so that the Fred that she's fallen in love with in the simulation mm. uh, takes the body of the of the evil maniacal um, Fred. Mm -hmm in in reality and that's where that's where the whole thing ends so mm. yeah well we've ruined it for you now <sighs> yeah but not really because there's so much else going on in this i you know this is a a very very strange looking piece of television before we get to that i'd like to say it's also it it, it before apart from the strange lookingness of it this is actually a really solid drama. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, yeah no, it, it works. It's a good, um, it's a good thriller. It's a good bit of sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, it it's paced well. It's got it's got all this uncovery. Uh, sorry, yes, discovery, uncovering yeah. the, the the nature of of what's going on, filling in the details as you go, which is paced in a way that's complicated enough to keep you interested for mm. a total of three and a half hours. I think yes. Um, yeah, but without but without it being too complicated. So you know, it's just good writing. And yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I would have actually understood it all. The I mean, you know, people would have seen this on TV, mm -hmm. and uh, in 1973, nobody even had a video recorder. Right? They no, they would have just seen it once. Yes. I don't know if I would have got it the first time through. I did. Oh, yeah, God, you did, but <laughs> it's not that bad. It's quite good fun. I mean, every little, oh no, it's great. Every it's, little, it's, it's, every little detail. No, but the, uh, but the, the, the big picture of uh, of it all. Um, you know, what's a simulation? What isn't? And uh, how do we? You know, and who knows what at which point? Uh, all of that stuff's great. Yeah. No, but um, uh, the thing is that even if you don't actually get it. Um, it's so beautiful to look at yeah. that uh, it kind of doesn't matter, you mm. know. If you could just suspend disbelief uh, for, you know, 
for three and a half hours. Well, you have to uh, anyway, just for a silly yeah, of you sci-fi to, plot yeah. like this one. But I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I I really buy it. If it was if it was real nonsense, uh, I'm not sure I could do three and a half hours of. Oh, no, no, it's, I'm not saying it's nonsense. But, but I, I'm saying it's quite complicated for somebody who's who's not you know kind of up to speed with all of this. Uh, you know. Yeah. I, <clears throat> you know, I'm. Um, I think probably somebody who played video games would find a lot of this easier to get hold of, for instance. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff about, you know, moving through a through a, a landscape and having to having to solve things to get further. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I think it would it would make a make a lot more sense to somebody who who like played a lot of lot of video games. Maybe. But um but of course, this comes from a time when you know something like that didn't exist, which makes it even more amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, it it came from a um, what was a nineteen sixties novel. Uh huh. Nineteen sixty four. Yeah, uh, called Simulacron Three. I think it was yeah. called. I haven't read it yet, but I'm, maybe I never will. But you know, I was wondering if that actually is prob- is probably quite a good book. I mean, that's. Um, I, I, anyway, I was speculating. Perhaps that's that's why it was, uh, a, you know, a, a, mm. a good, uh, a good screenplay, a good yeah. script. Yeah, yeah. But um, so let's yeah, think, think about how it actually looks. Now, first of all, it looks like an an old Anadin <laughs> advertisement, right? You know, with glass heads with arrows pointing at them, going headache. <laughs> Tense, nervous headache. Pressure here leads leads to pain here. (laughs) Yeah. You wonder if if maybe Fred might not suffer quite so badly from headaches if he would cut back a bit on the the booze and the cigarettes because he spends nearly all of the time smoking and drinking. Exactly. I mean, you know, if you if you can get through this entire uh, in this entire film without ending up absolutely gasping for a fag, then yes, <laughs> well done. Uh, also, you know, you might want to um, you might want to try a little experiment and just um, take a shot of whiskey uh, every time anybody on the on the film it's takes a, a shot of whiskey. Idea. I wouldn't recommend it. Hey, yeah, but <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's, it's only like, coffee, whiskey, brandy, and um, and cigarettes. That's the only things that get consumed here. Oh, and a, and a slice of cheesecake, but that comes with whiskey. Yes, and I don't think the cheesecake actually got eaten. There was, in fact, uh, uh, mention of a glass of Gewurztraminer at one point. Yes, with some with some uh, Wildschweinrücken. Uh, yeah. Uh, which which involved the chef the chef being half naked in its to, in order yes. to prepare it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he was one of the one of the curious decorations that pop up. You mentioned a, yeah. a party early on. Oh uh, God, yeah, that's yeah. that's beyond strange. I mean, for a start, you've you've got this um, you've got this very sort of fast bender thing where 
somebody says something and then then you get a shot of the other person looking back at them who looks at them for about a full four seconds before saying ah oh. <laughs> without mm. changing their expression at all <laughs> yes yeah, so the about the look of it um first off and and i think this is important because first mm. off there's a there's a kind of color cast to the whole thing a rather blue color cast yeah to almost the whole thing yeah uh which suddenly uh resolves in the last scene yes and all of the men uh who who are who are involved in the script as you know as like as talking characters let's say yeah. uh all of the men are dressed in um, sort of business attire, yeah. uh, 70s. It's not quite formal. It's a little, uh, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit flashy. Yeah, uh, yeah kind of the, the sort of technocrats. Mm. So how, how people like that, that would dress, people who work for IBM and stuff like that. I think IBM would actually be a little bit more conservative than that you know things like black uh, shirts with a black tie and a black jacket is a is a bit is a little flash yeah. um, and so all the men are wearing suits and all the men have you know haircuts that would be suitable in the workplace and then all the women look like they could possibly be cyborgs um, yes i mean <laughs> Kind of sex doll cyborg. Oh yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, very weird look, um, and yeah. and some of them are are ludicrously inappropriately addressed for what's mm. going on. For example, do you remember when the the journalists uh, went to kind try and get some information on a jumping oh, over yes. a fence to go and go and go and get you know go and peer into the, some windows or something? Yeah. What the hell are they wearing that for? I mean, this lady's wearing a, essentially a ball gown to yes, go, exactly. uh, uh, you, know, you know, to go go spying in somebody's garden, you know, busting through the hedges and whatnot. Yeah, and then when uh, actually when we end up in uh, in the office of the newspaper with this fantastic circular camera shot, yeah. Which uh, which follows Ushi, yep. who's the who's the, the the other journalist as she goes to get uh, goes to get some files, and manages to go right round the desk and yeah, voice to Ushi. Ah, da is the Ushi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she's wearing. But she's she's wearing a baby. Christ doll. knows what. <laughs> In the office, you know, and it, it's 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 very odd, and it it really. Um, sort of begs the question. What, sorry, let's let's proceed yeah. on with more and then, of the visuals. Then, uh, there's a, well, when they when they finish talking, they because they they kind of walk away from the desk. They come back and there's a bloke who's sort of dressed like a racing tipster, complete with a suede hat, who's talking to Ushi about the delights of Chinese food. Yes, <laughs> which is a, a standout weird moment that I I couldn't understand at all. Uh. Uh, what, what are you yeah. talking about there? And why is that in anyway? But the then there's the, the you know the set design, the the decorations of these offices mm -hmm. that these people are are working in. Yeah, uh, very futurist, very seventies mm -hmm. futurist. 
Um, so a lot of glass, a lot of metal and plastic. So a lot of just, you know, current materials and an awful lot of mirrors. Yes. So mirrors are and, and um, swivel chairs. Swivel chairs. And we do a lot of swiveling in them. Yes. Yes. There's, <laughs> there's some there's some very, very strange swiveling, synchronized swiveling. Yeah. There's, and there's the sort of uh, walk, opening doors and walking around the office whilst you're talking to somebody who's about 100 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so this... This question, so the, the appearance of these things. So, I mean, the, these offices just look so strange um, yeah. and, you know, and, and, and radically 70s. Um, also, there's a few um, locations like there's a place where they, yeah, the place where the cheesecake shows up, uh, mm -hmm. which is sort of like a, um, a cafeteria type, you know, public cafeteria yeah. type set, sitting. And there's a bar that, 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 they end, that, the, that the action ends up at one point. Um, these also uh, have very, very plastic. Uh, lots of um, yeah. Lots of dusting must be necessary to keep them looking shiny. Uh, Look out for the uh, for the for the shot at the cafe with the cheesecake. By the way, that opens it, which is uh, a camera shot at a height of about six inches off the ground, which travels along for a long way. I mean, the camera work in this is mm. wonderful. Yes, much of it really is. Um, it's really. And some of the ways, I mean, there's a you get the the trick of of having people appear in mirrors quite a lot in mm. in film and TV. But here, that effect is used so much and so extravagantly, and yeah. in in some cases, really quite startlingly. It's like, how does he end up being upside down? I mean, I know yeah. mirrors can do a left right thing, but how do they do an upside down thing? Yeah. Um, and so, so, so some of these are, are, are really quite amazing. Um, and there are some scenes where you get completely confused as to who's facing whom. Yes. Right. Um, I, where I, I even watching it the second time over, I couldn't really understand how it was set up and yeah. what we're supposed to be looking at. So there are these things going on. And then when Stiller makes a trip to their simulation um, and go and goes to meet Einstein mm. and, and has, a, you know, encounters a few other people there. The set, the, the designs are all completely different. It looks like it's like the 1930s or something. Yes. Right. Which yeah. is a bit surprising since they were, they claimed that this simulation was there in order to make projections from, out to the year 2000 or something. But, yeah. But the point I'm making here is that the, the appearance of everything in there, and not just the appearance, but the behavior of people, if you think for it, we didn't see an awful lot of it, but we did get an encounter with a guy in a telephone booth, and we got a, an mm -hmm. encounter with a waiter. And they were completely different from what was going on up, upstairs. What this suggests to me is design. Mm. So oh, yeah. the... The point here is that they in in our simulation one level, so while most of the action takes place, when mm -hmm. they're talking about their simulation, they talk about, well, who programmed which part of it. In mm. other words, every detail in the simulation is intentional. It was designed mm -hmm. by someone, which is, of course, a very different thing 
from real life. In real yeah. life, design is localized. You know, I've got mm -hmm. my living room, which I didn't really design anyway. It was a an ad hoc process over more than a quarter century. Uh -huh. um, whereas a simulation, that's a deliberate one design, isn't it? Right? Yeah. And in this regard, I think that there's another parallel here with movies. Because movies are designed. They are, yeah. in a sense, a simulation. Yes. Right? And... I remember, can't remember what it was. It was a movie, I think, set in London. A period movie about a bank heist. And uh -huh. it had a, um, on a DVD extra, uh, had somebody pointing out that in order to make a, mo a period movie look convincingly period, you have to be careful uh -huh. not to make it look too period. Because... A common mistake is to get everybody dressed as though it's 1956. Uh -huh. But that's not really what was the case in 1956. There no, would only be because... some people dressed in 1956 clothing in 1956, and everybody else is wearing something older. Yeah. Possibly a lot older. It's a, it's a mix. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, yes, keep the stuff from 1966 out, of course, but of course, they've got yeah. to spread it out. And that was that's that really felt like when I uh, the, the the whole look of Simulation One, which is most of well done, Tom, uh -huh. uh, felt like that. It felt like it was some somebody's design. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Huh. and obviously that corresponds with the with, with um, Fassbinder himself, doesn't it? Ah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Right yeah. and uh, and I th and if I if I understand things right, Fassbinder and and the others of that of his of his generation of highly celebrated directors, uh -huh. it was the director that was very much at the sort of center of everything, um, perhaps yeah. more than the the movies or the drama or the cinema itself. You know, it was yeah, there. It was the auteur, yeah. right? And 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 so it. It struck me that this is perhaps very important. Um, when we pop down to simulation, what I'm calling simulation two, the, um, where we go into that hotel and it's all sort of like 1930s look, we've got a completely different look. And then right at the very end, um, for that, that one short last scene, again, completely different look. The colors change. We don't have this blue cast anymore. The clothing that Ava and Fred are wearing is no longer so ludicrously stylized. Uh -huh. um, and not only that, their acting is, is different. Uh -huh. the, there's, a, there's a, in particular for the women, the elegant women in, um, uh, in the rest of the movie, the, they've, they've got a very stiff kind of... Yeah. Uh, way of acting of a very uh yeah a very stiff thing going on and it's 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 yeah. just weird it's sort of campy it's sort of a little bit sort of suggestive in a pornographic way you know Certainly. what i mean um and of course uh, yeah well not of course but um 
something that only, as far as I can tell, German women do is is this extreme baritone voice, uh, <laughs> which I I don't know what quite what that's meant to mean. But um, so there's that going on, and then in this final scene we pop out, and there's this there's this really obvious contrast. Everything's different. People are behaving yeah. different. They talk different. They just look, got different hairdos, you know, a much more reasonable sort of yeah. hair and clothing that's much more, looks comfortable. It looks like the kind of thing that people would wear in order to do a real day's work uh, as opposed to you know, just sort of like standing there and swishing around a little bit for the entertainment mm. of, um, of, I'm not sure who actually, if it's the entertainment of the other avatars <laughs> in the simulation or the entertainment of the of the people who designed the simulation. Yeah. Fire. This this uh, this film uh, gets yeah I mean oh, there's there's all kinds of there's all kinds of the things in it which uh, you wonder why they why they're there or or what they're supposed to tell you I've been very very confused in the opening party scene mm-hmm. which is um, it it's as strange as a sort of early 80s uh like rock music video it's got, <laughs> it's got very yeah. muscled men lifting themselves out of a swimming pool <laughs> yes well this is the f- yeah this is the first of a few um moments where we're seeing yeah muscle men striking poses yeah so so muscle men with their shirt actually with either with their shirts off or with everything apart from them their, their shorty shorts off yeah, um, and uh, and they're and they're just you know literally striking poses. Yeah, and wh- the, yeah, why? I mean, is this what? What um, was? I I I have no idea what to say about that. Yeah, and then why in the middle of this scene when two people are having a conversation when uh, it's it's actually uh, Stiller and and Gunter Lauser, do we get? Uh, the entire of the uh, Liebers taught from the end of uh, the end of Tristan and Isolde. <laughs> well, actually, that's a, a there's a good question. I mean the the music that's the way the music is used here is also really odd uh, because we've got a number of well known you know pieces of german music i think there's mm-hmm. bach in there as well isn't there and there's some yeah there's, there's the some, blue danube yes. but one bit yeah, we've got some wiener waltzer and um, yeah. um but these are 
these are made to sound more or less distorted. Uh, so in some cases, it's just as though they're played on a on a not very good quality radio or something, and it's part of the background of some other conversation. Hmm. But in other cases, these 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 bits of music have, are, are deliberately mutilated to make to add to the sense of weirdness, the the, uh, the sort of fear uh-huh. and paranoia yeah. going on. I think. Unless um, uh, Fred Stiller eventually gets a a, a new. A new secretary is a quite striking-looking lady. Yes. Uh, and she suddenly starts playing Greek bazooki music in the office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grounds for dismissal anywhere else. <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. The, uh, the the look of the uh, the look of the whole set is uh, is very very strange. But of course, most of it's not a set. I think um, he just went to Paris and found a whole load of places that actually looked like that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I mean, I, I lived in Paris in the in the 80s. Yeah, the, there are places that look like that. Hmm. They really embraced the sort of modernist and occasionally brutalist uh you know, concept very strongly, and you, you find places that look absolutely strange. Yeah, I was assuming that the office spaces were uh, were sets because uh, they would have had to construct the the computer room. Well, actually, it's more yeah. than one computer room, isn't there? And they yeah. did they did credit IBM with providing some furniture or equipment or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that would that would definitely have had to have been quite carefully put together but yeah so things like the uh the, the places where the party was was taking place and those mm-hmm. cafes and in bars yeah mm-hmm. i thought they could they, those could be paris i guess yeah incidentally i'm I'm going to put on to the substack page um a uh a short video of uh, excerpts from a TV series that aired on German television in the early 60s called Raum Petrolia, um Oh, God. What's Orion. It? O- Orion, yeah. Yes. Raum Petrolia Orion, which is, um, yeah, uh, it's as strange as this movie, except it's done on a budget of about, you know, 1 mark 75. But um, with good dancers. <laughs> Oh my God! The dance sequences are just incredible. <laughs> but yeah, they um, yeah they they did this. Uh, if you get shots of the of the actual spaceship, there's um, there's this control panel with a with a, a steam iron in the middle of it. Nice so and uh, a lot of the dance sequences take uh, part actually in um, in uh, the Berlin Aquarium. Ah, yeah, because I was wondering how it was that the sky was filled with fish in, in fish, yeah, uh, in, in space. Fish in space. Oh well, I don't know. <laughs> they, they maybe just thought it looked weird enough. <laughs> but they really didn't have any money. Uh, yeah. that was that was, yeah i did i did have a chance to watch that that short clip there's so there's like a six minute youtube which has got compiled of the dance scenes 
from yeah. uh, Realm Patrol Orion, and yeah, they're great. Definitely should yeah, take the six they, minutes to watch Absolutely, that. and you know, if you, I think if you dig on the internet, you can find entire episodes of this show. Hmm. I'm not sure I'm going to be bothered with that. But. <laughs> no, but yeah, well, I, maybe some of our listeners might. I mean, it's uh, they they have a, a wonderfully camp and uh, a very entertaining. Mm. So there was there was some of this aesthetic sort of going around. Is what I what I'm I'm trying to communicate here. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't completely unfamiliar because from the early seventies. I, I mean, one of the things that I immediately thought of was it's got a a, a sort of a, a bit of a feel from watching The Prisoner. Um, mm. Yes, because f- first of all, you've got this sense of paranoia. And you've got the the extremely weird aspects of uh, of control, you know, and yeah. how in the prisoner you've got those two guys sort of like operating, I don't know, telescopes or something. That yeah, or the, the strange sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's that going on, um, and and that feels a little bit like uh, you know a simulation or an observatory of a of a little microcosm or what have you. But yeah. it's also t- it's also a little bit to do with the way that these these zooms are used for to punctuate really uh really exciting moments in the drama where the camera zooms in or yeah. out and or know, out sometimes yeah. that's yeah, yeah. yeah there's a there's a very very dramatic shot early in when suddenly the camera disappears into down a long corridor yeah and, and it's a it's a wonderfully paranoia inducing shot yeah and it, there's a sort of like a just a general feel about some of these old uh, sci-fi's and uh, mysteries, and I mean, even Twilight Zone has got mm-hmm. it a bit, hasn't it? Uh, this yeah. sort of feel that I don't, f- you know, it, it's different now. Things changed since the uh, since the seventies. Mm-hmm. We're almost uh, we're almost hauntological now, aren't we? Oh no! Hold on, oh, wait a minute. We're going to get to the hauntology in this in a minute. Okay, but um, uh, before we go any further, I was wondering because I've. So seen it suggested online that uh maybe this was a little bit closer to uh rather than the uh the western science fiction uh, a little bit closer to the eastern stuff like for instance solaris uh-huh maybe and that kind of yeah that that kind of uh, tradition because that involves a lot more paranoia as well yeah yeah, I, I, I've, I mean, what, what do I know from, from that tradition? I mean, I've read a few Lamb oh. books and stories. Yeah, that's that's we've, definitely. Yeah. We've all seen the movie uh, Solaris. Apart yeah. from that, what is there? I mean, that, yeah. that I might know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wondered if um, maybe, uh, maybe being German rather than you know. Uh, British as we are, that you might have been exposed to a bit more of that in the 60s. Yeah. Just geographically, you know. I mean, we, we grew up watching uh, watching uh, Czech fairy stories on television that have been dubbed into English. Oh, Czech were good animators. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, yeah, but the... Um, I certainly remember watching watching that as a kid. I wondered if if maybe uh, maybe you know East German science fiction would have been a thing. 
Uh, possibly. I, I have no idea. Um, it, yeah, one of those things I guess got no, no connection to. So, yeah, um, I found a very interesting quote online. Uh, I watched a big documentary on uh, on Fassbender uh, by a guy called Karl uh, Heinz Böhm, who was mm. a very famous actor in Germany, who said basically um, his uh, so Karl Heinz Böhm's father had been also been an actor, yeah, and uh, obviously this had been during the during the whole Hitler regime. And so he he gave his son the advice. He said, "You know what? Just stay out of politics. Don't ever get involved in it because it'll come back to bite you." And um, he said that Fassbender gave him exactly the opposite uh, advice and said, "No, no, you you know you you have to you have to get involved. You have to have to actually take an opinion. You have to have a stand on things." But he said that the thing was that Fassbender, of course, was not active in party politics in any way. Mm. But he, all of his political uh, opinion uh, was was devoted to social critique, and he was he was very loud about that. I mean, all of his films have some sort of item of social criticism about them. And I just find it very interesting that this is all about talking about the possibilities of this new technology and how business is going to uh, is going to exploit that. Yeah. And then you know, I mean, it starts out as something like, "Oh yes, we're trying to we're trying to you know, business wants to find out." how much steel will be used in the future. But uh, we've now got to a point where the, where the tail is wagging the dog and, uh, you know, an al- there's an algorithm controlling how much steel will be used in the future. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, as far as the political is concerned, that was mm-hmm. the only point in this whole thing that, that seemed to be political but it also seemed like it could be just part of the story i mean most of the story is about the horrible idea of mm. doing such a thing of creating a simulation i mean this has become a uh creating simulation with um detailed enough avatars within them that mm. can understand what's going on and the ethics of that uh, mm. That's become a major theme in, uh, and well, I, maybe I'm not sure if it even started in science fiction, but uh, you know, one um, the novel this is based on was one of the earliest, mm. um, but it's been dealt with um, a great deal since then, and is a, including by Ian Banks, uh, who's yes. looked at it in some detail, um, in horrible detail, in fact, yeah. um, yes, and. Uh, there is, I mean, there really isn't any uh, any way around it, is there? If you, uh, even if we don't actually make these things robotic and physically real in the real world, if you've managed uh-huh. to create uh, a computer program that involves something that can communicate with you, let's say, um, and can express itself, haven't you already overstepped a mark? Yeah. I mean, let alone yeah. turning it off or 
uh, or or explaining to this this thing uh, its situation. But that I think is is the really big interesting point about this whole this whole TV show and presumably the book it's based on. Uh, the other thing that. Um that really that this this gets uh, compared to all the time is the matrix yeah do we have to maybe we can deal with it quickly um right. i hated the matrix i think you did as well yeah um yeah i just wasn't very impressed i mean i actually made a made an effort to not watch it for a very very long time until Actually, not very long ago, maybe five years or something, I said, look, we better watch this because everybody's referring to it all the time. It's become a part of the cultural vocabulary. So so we watched it and I thought, well, you know, all right, fine. And yeah, no, I mean, I think the, the, the visuals in it are kind of shit. Why... You know, uh, leather dusters and dark glasses just seems a bit... Oh, please. Yeah, mm. I know. I, I kind of suffered also a bit from the fact that uh, I went to see it when it came out. Uh-huh. And um, we got to the to the cinema and they said, there's only seats free right at the front. Yeah. So I said, okay, right, we've we've decided we're going out to watch a movie. We'll just take them. So I, I spent several hours of having this bloody movie tattooed to my eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a miracle that I didn't have an epileptic fit or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the what I, I'm just not into I'm not into special effects movies. Uh mm. and the the I the central idea, the central metaphor of the matrix is a bit ham-fisted uh, mm. so i'm yeah, not quite very. sure what to make uh, make of the um the enthusiasm for it so that's uh, that brings us actually to something in the styling here because in welt am Draht, the uh, all the telephones in i suppose what you'd call simulation one mm. are push button which in 1973 Push-button phones were still away in the future. They were only going to be made available to the German public in 1976. Hmm. And of course, in the Matrix, they they you know they they go from the from the simulation to reality through rotary phones. Hmm. Except, of course, there's a bit. Um, the in simulation two, I think this that when he goes to meet Einstein, in order to get back to simulation one, he goes through a rotary phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and and there's a dissolve there that I'm wondering yes. if that's a if, if that's a particularly important thing because there's a couple of those dissolves are used as though you're looking through um, an. Op- an opaque piece of glass, the kind of the glass that you might use in a bathroom door or something. In the bathroom, yeah. Well, there may have been budget issues, but... <laughs> well, but, yeah, but uh, I was wondering what uh, if that if that meant, if that was supposed to imply something more than just, oh, this is a transition from one, le- one simulation to another. Mm. I wondered also if uh, if the whole thing about, you know, Simulation 2 being in the 1930s, whether for Germans in the 1970s, the uh, 
uh, a 1930s without Nazis might actually have a have a sort of hauntological uh, thing to it. Hmm. Well, it's a very brief stop in into mm. um and only a few characters get seen and a few you know few, few yeah maybe mm. no, I, I, yeah, but there's there's a bit in right at the beginning at this at the party at the beginning where uh there's somebody singing the boys in the back room yeah uh, do uh, in a very strong german accent <laughs> yes now uh, yeah um, marlena dietrich style yeah <laughs> now what 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 did you make of that i i had no idea i wondered if that was a bit of hauntology actually i mean it definitely had a nazi feel about it didn't it uh i wouldn't well you see yeah i mean like nazi that's cabaret the, yeah. Well, cabaret is about what happened before the Nazis turned up. Hmm. Yeah. You see? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we so, have another weird scene in a in a club uh, near the end. Oh, uh, where they're all earnestly boogieing in their underpants. Well, there's that, but, but yes. <laughs> well, yes. There's the muscle men again, and then they, the waif, and then the waif-like women with their, mm. uh, with their lady parts out, but the men aren't really boogieing. They're again just striking poses. And uh, yes. <laughs> uh, what's her name? The secretary, um, uh, it, um, Gloria. Yeah, she she walks uh, through and actually does some fondling of these uh, yes. <laughs> these big guys. Uh, but this is also the 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 the, the, the situation where. Uh, Fred tries to make an escape from uh, being caught by his pursuers through mm -hmm. the kitchen and in the kitchen discovers another of these muscle men, a, a huge black guy with his shirt off, you know, just bulging mm. enormously uh, and holding a, a really big knife with a scarf tied around his neck. Mm. What is going on there? So, but no, yeah. what, but the point, what I was really trying to draw attention to was that there's a, there's another uh, sort of cabaret scene there, isn't there? There's yeah. there's a march through the wild or the beautiful wild, or whatever, and then uh, a firing squad with a with an elderly lady. Oh, that's lady. right. Yeah, and she she does. Uh, yeah, the, the, she actually sings Lily Marlene. Yeah. Which, uh, of course, uh, Fassbender's going to make a film called Lily Marlene in 1981. So that's all going through. How how could that possibly be? A, a club entertainment that scene. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. What's I it doing? Do not get All right, that. then let's put it the other way. What's this scene doing in this movie? Again, completely. I, again, right? no, I'm coming up with nothing. Yeah. No. Unless it's just to sort of, you know, uh, add a, uh, add a, 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 yet another note of strangeness to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, yeah, it's all very weird. But it's so it's so specific, um, mm. and they they play the uh, they play it out, you know that that whole scene out with uh, you know with the with the shooting yeah. and she's left yeah, yeah. there with the snow accumulating on her. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's all very strange. Oh. <sighs> Wow. 
So what's your Traum Alto? Oh, I see, yes. Well, I'll tell you something about that Corvette. That's uh, AVF's Corvette. Uh-huh, was it? Yes, is that he how, bought that for himself. Is that how he uh, how it had that um, that that rather nice <laughs> number plate on it? Fast two seven seven. Yeah, uh, no the, the the number plate um, of course is completely fictitious. Yeah, as uh, yeah, there's the there is no German. Um, uh, Shall we do a sidebar here? German number plates. Uh, the first uh, one or up until three letters, I think, are uh, are the place. So where so, is registered? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, except the um, the thing is, what I've never really been able to get behind is the fact that the the plates don't stay with the car. The plates actually stay with uh, with the with the with the owner. So if you buy if you buy yourself a new car. You take your number plates off it, and you put them on the next car. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as long as you're still living in that town. Yeah. If you move to another town, then you get a, a new set of number plates with a different uh, different uh, uh, pair of letters at the beginning. Isn't this jolly like, interesting? You'd so uh, you you lived in Munich, so, so if you had M. a car, that would have been M. But if yeah. you'd moved to Mannheim, then it would have been M A. I think. Yeah. So you're saying there's no F A. There is no F A. Mm. No, and there never was. So it's uh, yeah, it's kind of a red herring. But okay. that was uh, yes, that was Vassbinder's uh, um, personal Corvette. Mm. All of the cars in this movie, apart from I think. One are American, which is uh, which adds to the strangeness as well. And um, mm, that's not quite right, but yeah, because there is but, a there's a there's a uh, there's a big Merc right at the beginning. Yes, the, exactly. Except one. And, that's the one. The and there's a Rolls the, Royce. The, ah, yes, I was forgetting the roller. Yeah, yeah. and of course the roller. Who's sitting in the Rolls Royce? Yeah, that's a curious one as well, isn't it? And why isn't it? Why is he? And why is he so um, sensitive to cigarette smoke? Uh, I don't know about that, but um, Eddie Constantine. Yes. Where have we seen him before? Tell me. Alphaville. Right. But that's that's what I'm getting at. It's like he's. Yeah. Is it a joke that? Oh no, he can't smoke. Because uh, Alphaville is all about sm- smoking. It's, it's it? all about smoking. Yeah, I, maybe it is, but um, but yeah, uh, this is this is Fassbinder's obsession with Goddard, yeah. and uh, I think probably a lot of the look of uh, of of this film has something to do with Alphaville. Oh, you know the. Uh, the women jumping into pools. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah, yeah. It and, was... and of course, everybody r- running around in a in a trench coat and a hat. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, did you notice that lady that with the with the with the two beauties at the pool party? Um, mm. One of them didn't jump in uh, at all, but the other one who put on a pose of of doing a dive. Which is a little mm. bit like an Alphaville. She just 
perfect belly flop. I mean, it was just slap on the wall. <laughs> Both times she did it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, the uh, that's that's uh, that's let me caution out of uh, out of Alphaville. Right. So uh, obviously, this film predicts uh, a whole hell of a lot, which is. Um, Kind of amazing, really. How did how did how did Fassbender know that all of this stuff was coming? Um, the simulations and the computers. Yeah, I think a lot of people had been thinking this stuff through already for a while. Uh, so presumably, he picked up on that. I mean, one of the things I think you read it. I wrote a short piece um, that uh, quoted from Alan Turing in the nineteen fifties. Uh, speculating about artificial intelligence. Because if you, you know, once you understand the the scalability of computers and computer programs hmm. um, and how they can be constructed out of uh, sort of layering on top of each other, then the possibility for this kind of thing has to, uh, will, will be, I mean, and did become obvious to lots of people. I mean, it's just huh. a, it's just a matter of thinking ahead. And computer technology had already been moving, uh, you know, developing pretty fast in in ways. I mean, people were talking in the nineteen sixties about the global village. Um, I mean, what's it like, yeah. McClue and whatnot about the global village and how in, how mm. we're all going to be uh, uh, up in everybody else's stuff uh, mm. in or in no time at all. Yeah, but it is it is interesting. I mean, um, a lot is made of, about the fact that the the titles of this movie are basically a uh, a barcode, right? When they yeah, yeah. Uh, I looked this up. Um, the first barcodes, the the invention of the barcode was like something like nineteen forty eight. Yeah. And it was it was kind of like that thing, like you know, fax machines have been around since since just after the war and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it had been kind of kicking around. I think it was finally used for the first time at the end of the sixties for uh, train tickets in America. Mm. And it was only uh, it was only kind of by the oh, God end of the. 70s was it beginning of the uh beginning of the 80s uh, that they started getting used on 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 everything right yeah so i guess it was um a fairly early uh realize or a fairly early realization of the sort of the style associated yeah. with uh with a barcode yeah yeah i mean the There's, the involvement with computers here is 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 pretty big i mean they got quite a lot of equipment in uh just to be able to film it and make it look the way it the way it did so maybe they got some consultation in there yeah but it's um it's certainly one of the best things i've ever seen about this whole uh you know because it, it's it's put in a it's it's put in the same 
draw as the matrix as uh the truman show as uh yeah. there's another movie called the 13th floor i think which is basically which is based on the same story the 13th floor is in fact a remake of this Ah, okay yeah, yeah. the cinematographer who oh, so Michael Ballos, that, yeah. uh, went and did um wanted wanted to make Veltam Draht again, but as mm. a proper movie that could be released internationally. Mm. Uh, but it, I, th- I think it's better than all of those movies. I kind of agree. Um, I think what's what's working here is the sort of the everyday aspect of, of uh, you know, of these work environments, even though they look so weird. Uh, mm. What you've got is is people sort of divorced from uh, the other techno weirdnesses that, that are involved in, you know, in life today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, a bit more fleshy, so to speak. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. A, a, a situation where you can sort of more viscerally imagine yourself in it and it being frightening. And, you know, it, it's, it's not so much to, I mean, there isn't actually all that much, tech in 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 this movie we have got the big no. computer rooms we've got the terminal room where we've got all those tv displays mm-hmm. um and we've got a couple of video phones that's it mm. the rest of it is just the rest of the world it's the kind of world that we live in with people you know doing jobs and whatnot yeah. it's it just feels more real that way you know it's it doesn't it doesn't have all that uh, that gloss and weirdness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely worth anybody's time. This movie. Yep. All three hours of it. Oh sure. No, I think it's a good diversion. Uh, oh, very entertaining and interesting. I mean, yeah. what well, we haven't. Thankfully, you haven't made me talk too much about uh, Fassbender because I really don't know what to say there. I mean, he's oh. the subject of so much scholarly and and film buffy uh discussion but i all i can tell you however is that for three years i lived uh one block from where he died Mm. yeah he was on claimerstrasse i was on belgerstrasse just one block down no i don't think there's any any big mystery really um he was somebody who worked compulsively uh, you were talking about uh, about uh, cinematas or auteurs. Um, the way that he worked, uh, worked because he because he worked so quickly, he relied um, to a certain extent on uh, improvisation from everybody in in the in the organisation. I mean. Quite why his films look so, uh, you know, start with a look of the of the shooting and the the camera work. Quite the the reason why they they look quite so extraordinary is because he he just asked for impossible things all the time and expected them to be done. And um, he didn't uh, prepare. Uh, a lot of things he he wouldn't go and look at a look at a place where they were going to be shooting the next day because he said that was just boring he'd like to turn up somewhere and then have to solve all of the problems like at once 
because then something magical would happen. If uh, yeah, he liked to do things in one shot, in one take, and then sort it out in the cutting room afterwards because that meant that everybody was reaching a completely different level of concentration and so that means that a lot of the actors who turn up in his movies tend to be the same one he has this family of actors because they're used to working like that yeah used to working with him too and um the the thing the thing about that as well which is quite interesting is that um you get people who in one film are just doing a sort of supporting role and then uh you know a couple of films down the roads you'll uh, you'll end up um that person will be in the starring role which is kind of interesting as well there's a bloke in in this film called um Kurt Rab who plays um i think the assistant technical director who gets brought in he's a bald guy with a mustache in this movie. Right. And um, so this is 1973. In 1976, he's in an amazing movie, which I just saw the, the, the trailer to, which looks like hell on wheels. It's called uh, Zatan's Braten. And he's, he's playing the lead in that. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm going to sit down and watch that one. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, what's um, so that that sort of explains the um, you know the, the production, but the the content. Mm. There's a there seems to be something to Fassbinder's movies that's that's rather particular in terms of its um, interpersonal mm-hmm. dramas. There's a lot of melodrama. There's um, mm. there's a lot of uh, manipulation and sadism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of miserable people, and uh, and a lot of cynicism. This is the uh, the part that mm-hmm. that I've found off-putting, um, and why I haven't sort of like developed much of an appreciation for his stuff. Well, you see, he didn't he didn't want to beat people over the head with a political opinion. He wanted to show people how things are in the hope that they would then go and change them rather than, you know, pointing them in, uh, which a lot of the political uh, cinema at the time was doing instead of, instead of just painting everything black and white. Hmm. He wanted to show the whole situation in the hope that society itself would change. So from seen from that perspective, they're not cynical at all. They're almost, you know, impossibly optimistic. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, one of the um, movies I did watch that was most that I most clearly remember was called Martha. I think it was made the same year as this. It's yeah, and actually that big circular shot that we were talking about mm. with with Ushi, uh, that was. Um, that first appeared, even though Martha came out a year later. The um, I found a clip with uh, with Michael Balos talking about that was the first time they'd used that shot. Yeah, and it was. Um, I mean that that movie is so painful. I mean, I, if that's mm. what if that's what Fassbender stuff is like, I thought, well, I can I can watch something else. Mm. Sorry, you can cut that bit out. Oh, can I now? 
Mm. Yeah, well, I don't think that this is... Um, that's a thing. What's a typical Fassbender movie? Well, this this doesn't seem like a typical Fassbender movie in a way. But he was um, he was somebody who liked to work from a book rather than make something up. And uh, yeah, he must have read very very widely because. You know, I mean, this is the same guy who made Berlin Alexanderplatz. Yeah, which I haven't watched yet. Apparently, well, it's pretty uh, uh, sadomasochistic experience just to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, I had a, um, I watched a bit of, there was some time in the 80s when it was shown on Channel 4. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a certain amount of, uh, yeah, jockeying for the television at the time to try and well, I tried to watch as much of it as I could, but it's a certain amount of parental opposition to this because, <laughs> of course, this, it's something like fifteen hours long. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's all in the uh, Criterion Channel, so we can watch it there with pretty good quality. Mm. He made. 40, oh God, the, the, I, you can look the numbers up online. It's, it's, I think it's something like 44 films. Yeah, I, I've seen it at the age of 37. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh, he was churning them out real fast. Mm. And uh, that's only films. We've not talked about theatre because he was, he was doing lots of theatre as well and all kinds of projects. He's an, a ridiculously productive guy. I found it very interesting uh, in the research for this. Um, there was, I think, somebody who's uh, maybe from the video was uh, was talking about this and saying, yes, this is, you know, you could never make something like this on television today because television has got so much more commercial and so something like this would just have no chance. Yeah. But he said, I think... If Fassbender had survived and if he'd gone on working, he wouldn't have tried to make something like this. He would have adapted. He was that smart. He would have he would have found another way of doing it. And yeah. I thought, well, yeah, actually you're right. <laughs> to find uh, the moment where Han, the, uh, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. dies. Oh, uh, in the, the car. Yeah, his car um, uh, mm. gets, well, drives into or falls into a canal. And as he sinks down, did you notice that he's still got his pipe in? 
and there's a and a goldfish swims past. Oh. <laughs> I gotta find us. Uh, I gotta find that to do a screen grab of it. It's hilarious. I mean, it's actually a kind of shocking moment in the whole thing because yeah. a, it's essentially kind uh, of murdering one talk- of simulation characters. Yeah, um, for some reason, I, I think the first time I watched this through, I was uh, late at night after a concert, and the moment when um, we go from a from a, a, a very sort of formal discussion between um, uh, Stiller and the head of security, uh, Siskins, in the in the office, uh, when. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a whole load of journalists are let in. Yes. And um, we do a long pan shot over the over this buffet table. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that was that was the moment when, um, well, I think, uh, I confess, alcohol may have been involved in this, but I, I absolutely lost it at that. Oh, but but it's actually a quite a realistic uh, mm. sort of a situation w- that you might get in a you know in a German industrial concern uh, where they're entertaining guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put on a spread for well, and there's some food for you after the meeting. If you look amongst those journalists, uh, beady-eyed uh, viewers may discover uh, the uh, one of the of the commissar from. Uh, Munster, uh, from the maybe. from the Munster tattoo art, yeah. Mm, not me. I haven't watched that TV. Very show. young with with hair. He's he's wearing a pair of earphones and carrying a carrying recording equipment. <laughs> yes, and but um, talking about shots with cars as well. Uh, the opening shot of this movie. Uh, has a good deal of speculation about it online. Yes, I saw that. Um, I thought that was maybe uh, slightly less interesting than the fact that there's that this is it's it's a completely unusual shot for the movie. Hmm. Um, it's actually really beautiful. It's amazing uh, the the way that music combines. The way you've got this very. Uh, narrow telephoto shot, uh, so much so that there's a kind of shimmer going on, and the way the music works with it, it's it's very sinister and 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 completely different from anything else in the rest of the mm. movie. So basically, these uh, the, the, the this opening shot, a car uh, comes up to a to a kind of security checkpoint, which has a has a. Um, a pair of actually what the Germans call Schrenker or um what do you call those things? Those poles. No, I yes, um the gates. Yeah. Yeah. And uh barriers. The car actually I, I, this is where I think it might actually be intentional because the car kind of changes lanes so it is right in the middle of these two um and it's two, not one of these these uh, these gates and um then these gates lift up forming a triangle mm-hmm. leaving the car in the middle of it and uh yeah uh, online pundits think that this represents the all-seeing eye in the triangle on the dollar bill yes 
possibly uh, could be. I you maybe it's that uh, maybe it is that it's using uh, that he's using a telephoto because I thought in my DVD version, um, I thought all of the cars were kind of distorted. Yes, they are. Yeah, that's oh, the, they are. Yeah, that's, that's the shimmer the, that I was talking about. The shimmer effect yeah, I was talking about. There's this. The, I mean, the this Mercedes. Uh, they look suddenly wider than they really are and longer than they really are and sort of not quite as high as yeah. they really are yeah so yeah the, the but the, also the, in my the, version when i looked at that i didn't think it looks much like an eye anyway it looks like some sort of no. graphic design uh, people love their symbolism don't they then again i think the um if you look at the symbol of the institute of the uh, ekit set then that also looks like a bit like a triangle with an eye in the middle a bit yeah may i'm not awful up much but yeah yeah i don't know why um han's death was made so comical <laughs> There you go, this one with his pipe still in, and then the goldfish appears. As <laughs> he's sinking below the water. Oh my god, yes. <sighs> I mean, why but bother to put a goldfish in there? <laughs> Was, that was an extra an extra detail that somebody really wanted in this. I'm sure um, this is the kind of movie that you could watch multiple times and come up with all kinds of details like that. Yeah. No, it's it, yes, it's got a lot in it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. No, it is. It's an entertaining thing. Go watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you.